ניוזליינט מדיה מוניטור. This week we've had the opportunity to interview Tariq Krim and talk about infrastructure of internet in Europe, our own independence and many, many other topics that I think are very interesting. So hello Tariq and first of all, two words on who you are and your experience in France and in the Valley. So I'm a French entrepreneur. I'm based in Paris, but I've also lived in San Francisco during the 90s internet era. So I have both cultures. I've been involved in computers since the really early days of the web and actually before even the web existed with uh, phone and modems. And I've been involved in mostly what we used to call the web 2.0, that is the reinvention of the web after a decade of using the web, basically nothing really happened. And there's a player called Mozilla that reinvented the browser and allowing a lot of companies like mine, NetVibes at a time, to do new things. Uh, this is when YouTube and Facebook and, and a bunch of others uh, started like making the web more interactive. And currently at a, at a moment, I'm writing about uh, the history of the internet. So I'm, I'm taking a time to pose and looking back and, and looking at how and how we got where we are today. Why is everyone so scared about Musk? The question of social media has always been the same. It's that we allowed machines uh, and we allowed computers to be in our personal life, in our intimacy. And we allowed them to access our photos, our messages, our text, um, everything we own, our playlist, music playlist, video playlist. And based on that, um, a lot of algorithms have been used by companies like Facebook or YouTube or uh, Apple and etc. to try to figure out how they can simplify our lives and how they could better learn who we are to serve us better options, but also better targeted ads or sold as better targeted ads. And the problem is, I believe at that assumption that we should live within the intimate space of a user is a very dangerous um, assumption because uh, by getting into the intimate space, you actually change the belief, you change the position, you change how people react to things. So it gives you a, a large role in how things happen. Suddenly, out of the blue, people started being really angry at things that they don't even care, don't even apprehend, don't even understand, just because of the way these news and information came in their, into their intimate space. And the other thing is uh, because social media are trying to regroup people around same belief, then this amplified the angriness, this amplified the fact that people are just talking to people are angry and, and then reinforce the, the fact that they should be angry about something. And I think this kind of approach who is great for business because you can sell, someone is angry, someone you can actually easily manipulate. So it's easy to sell. But at some point, this had external effect on democracy, on public debate, on health policy. A lot of people who were basically in needs of basic health and vaccine were basically the most, the loudest advocate for not using it. And some of them even died. This what is a, the tragedy of where we are today. We have all the technology and people do not believe in science. Let's talk about the tech giants, France 
and some company competing with them, like Dailymotion, Quant, uh, which is a search engine, etc. Yet none has become a dominant actor in the global scene. Another European company managed to do it, and I'm talking about Spotify, of course. What is the problem for Europe? There's a very, uh, very, very uh, interesting question about why and how we in Europe didn't get to to have leaders in the space of of technology. Well, we had leaders in space of technology. They were the telecom operators. And then telcos was a big game designed for big companies with very strong rules and business. Basically, what you do is you split the world into different places and then a few operators exist. With the deregulation of telecommunication, more operators came in, but we we knew how to still like operate, you know, like certain groups of 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 people in Europe, like the Vodafone Orange, Telecom Italia, Dutch Telecom. They kind of control like the large countries. Operators started controlling Europe, but when the internet came in, um, it was a different competition. First of all, the amount of money you needed to play with was extremely important. But also, and I think a lot of people in Europe didn't understand that and still do not understand that, is that at some point, uh, the value was in the infrastructure, the telecommunication network, and the ability to build the customer. But with the internet, the software became the most valuable asset. And companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're basically software companies. They don't even own the data center. Um, they basically l- like rent them to third parties and they operate on um, the assumption that with good software, you can actually make way more money on the, on the end customer. And that culture of software building consumer software didn't really exist in Europe. And the reason it didn't exist is that a lot of companies like mine at the time, NetVibes, were like small companies and nobody would either help us to grow into becoming bigger company or um, actually believe that co- smaller companies would that actually exist. So instead of allowing smaller companies to thrive, what happened is we told telecom operators, you could actually build the services uh, in, in, uh, in place of the smaller companies. And this was a disaster because at the end of the day, a lot of the companies that had great traction and great product had either to leave to the US or basically got acquired or basically died. J'ai une mauvaise nouvelle pour vous. Je vais faire un discours. Mais j'ai une bonne nouvelle pour vous, c'est que je vais essayer de ne pas répéter ce qui a déjà été très bien dit avant moi. Sovereign cloud. President Macron is trying to push France to have a sovereign cloud. Is he succeeding? Is anything moving at all? So this is an interesting thing because the uh, this idea of a digital sovereignty is a, is a concept I've been pushing for a while and uh, it is a concept that I I believe is slightly changing now with what happened with the war in Ukraine. So basically the idea is that as a country you should own your data, you should own your critical infrastructure and you should be making sure that your citizens are not controlled Either that third parties manipulated by social networks. You should have this kind of sovereignty, making sure that uh, you do not have third tier operators messing up with either your economy, your people, and you should make sure that you can protect uh, the data, uh, the most important data of the country. Uh, that is the 
oath of, of, of a country toward its citizen in some ways. And because of the big tech domination, a lot of companies, a lot of government are now trying to do partnerships with uh, external companies and try to explain how that would be more efficient. I personally believe it's a mistake. I've been trying to push against this for 10 years, but at the moment, uh, what we see with the Macron government and the previous government is that there's larger and larger part of what should be operated by France that are now operated by foreign operators. And uh, that has a massive risk. And the, the one of them is the risk of resiliency. When you think about how, as you know, um, the, um, the war in Ukraine show how we were very, um, very exposed to like outside technology. For example, if there's the submarine cables that bring the internet, connect the internet from, from uh, Europe to the US for severed, what would happen? when we see how fast it was to disconnect Afghanistan, when the Taliban took over, Google just switched button and basically the entire thing was, uh, was locked out. Same thing is happening right now in Russia. So what happened one day if we are not agreeing entirely with this or that on this or that, how do we make sure that we can still get control of the internet? This is a very deep question, but a lot of government at the moment have chosen not to respond. Many companies like Microsoft say, we host your data on our server in European soil. Do you think this is a good answer? So one of the things is that uh, most of the big tech says, well, you know, if you host data with us within Europe, it's like if you were hosting the data with a European company. And of course it's not true because any US company is basically submitted to the Cloud Act, FISA, and many different directives that force them to allow the government, US government at different level. It could be military, it could be intelligence, but it could be a simple judge to access the data that are stored anywhere in the world. So this is a big issue. It's a big issue between Europe and the US. It's a, an issue that actually has created some friction because we, we had had um, an agreement between the US and the Europe for the free flow data. And that agreement was broken apart uh, by an, an Austrian activist called Max Schrem and the European Court of Justice said he's right. So right now we do not have any regulation. And a lot of people believe that if you're putting your data in big tech companies outside of the EU, this is something illegal. And so far there's no real answer to that. Let's talk about that Gaia X now. Mr. Filou, in a post he made on Substack a lot of time ago, but I think it still holds true. So his view is that it's just a typical European bureaucratic monster, not agile enough to gain traction. There's been several uh, approach to do, uh, to create organization, to build sovereign cloud initiative. The most well-known is the German-French, it's mostly German, called Gaia-X, that actually has become this monster with dozens of companies, including Chinese companies, American companies, trying to work on an official standard. Uh, there's a smaller uh, group of companies called Euclidia, and there's about 100 European companies, small and mid-sized companies, and I actually believe a lot in what they're doing, trying to reconnect everyone together uh, 
create an ecosystem that works well together. And uh, this is an interesting uh, uh, situation because I, I believe that the future of Europe comes from the smaller companies, not from the big companies. The big companies have lost their soul, they've lost their, their way of, of creating new ideas, but just basically uh, becoming glorified reseller of American-based or Chinese-based uh, solutions. And the reason that is for that is that uh, we need engineers. We need to bring engineers to create great product. And I believe personally that only smaller companies and startups can actually do this. The question is, when we have this, how do we do it? How do we make sure that Europe is actually buying the product that European companies are doing? And this is a massive challenge. I'm personally um, pro using quotas in, in buying. So a certain amount of buying should be European. Um, the same way we had like an, a cultural exception for culture, I believe software is culture. I believe that software made in Europe is very different from software made in the US. The mindset is different, the vision is different, the approach productivity vs life is different. And I think we should protect that. And the same way we protected music with quotas in France and basically saved music and allowing comp like bands like Daft Punk, later to actually thrive globally is important. So this is something that very few of us are trying to push. And there's a lot of uh, people who say this is, shouldn't be a good idea. But I, on the long term, believe that at the end of the day, technology is about culture more than anything else. So finally, our, our audience, our main audience, our media organization, as you know, uh, I'm talking about the audience of Newslinet. And uh, I'd like you to share with us your suggestion on how to make sure that their operation do not depend on systems and services which are hosted abroad? Well, first of all, I, I, I truly believe that uh, um, the, uh, whatever company is doing, you should operate as a lot of, well, a lot of media companies, basically now the operation is in YouTube. It means that they don't really know who's watching them. They have to rely on Google. And, and companies like that to basically uh, know what's happening and how to create relationship. And we forgot that the, the essence of a media business is to create a relationship between a brand, a group of programs, um, and a community. And I, I, I truly believe that we should explore new ways of, of promoting content like podcasts, like Uh, newsletters, things that give a direct approach, direct contact to the, to the end user. And um, this is something we tend to forget because we're all trying to get uh, how we're going to raise our numbers, how many people we have on Facebook and Instagram. But if you're doing this, this is good for Facebook and Instagram. It's not really good for you because at the end of the day, if you're putting everything you have on YouTube, Instagram, etc., your content become in competition with like, Like, like low quality content, creator content, whatever content, competition, and you have zero control about how uh, the content will approach. So I think it's, it's important to re-own the relationship between customers and the audience and, um, and, the, and the brand and, the, and, the, and the, the media platform. And I think uh, we'll see more and more companies, I hope, will start rebuilding their own platform and figuring out a way to to operate uh, in that space.